Well, so we've been looking at the week that was, and we've been on a five-week journey where we've been looking at the last week of Jesus in Jerusalem. And it started with Palm Sunday, where we saw Jesus riding in on a donkey triumphantly into the city. On Monday, Jesus staged his prophetic protest in the temple, which sets in the motion the plot by the leaders to kill him. On Tuesday, there's a whole series of debates that he had. Jesus debating with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes. Tuesday culminates with Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, predicting to his disciples the coming destruction of Jerusalem. On Wednesday, Jesus is anointed by Mary and Bethany. Mary wants to make it clear to everybody that she believes that Jesus is king. And in a surprise move, Jesus says that she's actually anointing him for his burial. On Thursday, which we looked at last week, Jesus gathers in the upper room with his disciples for the Last Supper, and then he moves to Gethsemane, where he's finally betrayed and arrested. So that leaves us coming to Friday. And in our journey through this Holy Week, we've, we've reached Friday, and I want us to consider the power and the beauty of the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. And soon it was morning, and the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges are bringing against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one of the prisoners for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came and they began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. He answered them and saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So Pilate again said, Then what shall I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. And Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, and he delivered him to be crucified. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. On Friday, on Good Friday, the sin of the world merged into a singularity where it was born and ultimately forgiven by God and Christ. That's my sermon. That's it. <laughs> That's my sermon in one sentence. On Good Friday, the sin of the world merged into a single event where it was born and ultimately forgiven by God in Christ. On Good Friday, the sins of the world combined into one mass of the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the innocent scapegoat who takes away the sin of the world. You see, really, what, what, what I'm meaning by this is that, the, that flowing forward from the very time of Adam and Eve and all the sinners who followed, and then from, from the very last sinner in the world, all the way back from the very last sinner of this age, all the sins of the world, 
every act of pride and selfishness, every debasement and degradation of what it means to be human. It all flowed past and future, and it met at a single point on Good Friday, and it became the sin of the world. It became the sin of the world, and it gathered into this mass, into this single event, and it fell upon Jesus, who is nailed upon the cross. And that really is the theology of the sermon. That is the theology of Good Friday. But let's go back and look at the story of Good Friday. Again, Palm Sunday, beginning of the week, Jesus enters Jerusalem and he does so as a rival king. He comes as a rival king of the Jews. You see, King Herod had been installed by Rome. Rome had made him the king. Rome, who was represented by Pontius Pilate. And not only that, King Herod is supported by the Sanhedrin, who's presided over by the high priest Caiaphas. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus shows up as the rival king. But he comes not riding as a war horse, not carrying a spear, but he comes on a humble donkey. And then all week long, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the tension is rising in Jerusalem. Because Jesus is constantly confronting them. He's, his confrontation with the principalities and powers, the very powerful, the very rich, tensions rising, the very religious. He's confronting every single institution they represent the, and the demonic spirit that flows through them. The very powerful represented by Pontius Pilate, the very rich represented by King Herod, the very religious represented by the high priest Caiaphas. And Jesus is in confrontation with every one of those principalities and powers. So all, lo- all week long, the tension is rising. And of course, we know the story late Tuesday, Thursday night. Jesus is praying in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's betrayed and he's arrested. And he's brought by the temple police to the, into the palace of Caiaphas, where the Sanhedrin gather in a special late night session. And they tried Jesus and they convict him of blasphemy. What was his blasphemy? He claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And they convict him of blasphemy, which in the Jewish system was a capital punishment by death. So early in the morning, Friday morning, they take him from the palace of Caiaphas, the high priest, and they take him to the headquarters of Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Because, you see, they may accuse him of blasphemy, but they were not allowed under under Roman law to kill him. So they come, and this time they don't accuse him of religious blasphemy because a Roman governor doesn't give a fidge about theology. So what they do is they accuse him of sedition, of treason. They say, hey, listen, this guy's claiming to be a king, a king not made a king by Caesar. And during the the course of what's going on, Pilate trying to decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth, a really interesting episode occurs. In the middle of all this, there's there's apparently a tradition where the Roman governor, to keep the people happy and probably to to prevent um, a rebellion, because remember, as I said a few weeks ago, Jerusalem is just like a powder keg. 
with all these people who hate the Romans in the city and they're celebrating the Passover, which was actually a celebration of them breaking free of, Ro- of the Egyptians. So there's just all this turmoil, turmoil going on there. And, and so to, to dispel some of the tension, the Roman governor would release one of the political prisoners that he had. And from the story and from uh, local, uh, from history outside the Bible, we know that there'd been an insurrection, an uprising where a group of rebels had tried to revolt against Roman occupation. And murders had been committed during this insurrection. <coughs> Possibly Romans were murdered, but more likely Jewish collaborators with the Jews, you know, um, had been murdered. Tax collectors, people like that that, that worked with the Romans. And apparently the ringleader of this insurrection was a name, man named Barabbas. And so to, to kind of try to defuse everything, Pilate offers, he says, hey, what about I release Jesus? And the crowd says, no, no, give us Barabbas. And Pilate says, well, what do I do with this man, Jesus of Nazareth? And the crowd say, crucify him. Now, as I've already pointed out in past soon, it's important that we get this, that the, that the crowd that shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday and welcomed Jesus is not the same crowd that he is now, that's here now. The crowd that came in on Sunday with him who shouted Hosanna, they were from Galilee. They'd come in. This is a different crowd. This is Judeans. The crowd who shouted Hosanna, as I said, are from Galilee. And they came believing that Jesus was king. The Messiah, they traveled with him. They gave him a kingly entrance with their palm branches shouting Hosanna. But the crowd gathered here right now at the headquarters of Pontius Pilate early Friday morning are the elite. They're ones who had some connection with the temple. They were a crowd of chief priests, scribes, elders, Pharisees, Sadducees, and conscripted false witnesses. And this is a crowd that was shouting out, crucify him. Because they had a vested interest in getting rid of Jesus because he was going to ruin the things that they valued. And the other thing we need to understand is about Barabbas. Barabbas was not the maniacal killer of Mel Gibson's Passion of Christ. Okay? That movie got Barabbas completely 100% wrong. In the movie, if you've watched it, Barabbas is portrayed as, this, as someone who no one would have any sympathy for. I mean, he's a serial killer, you know, he's drooling from the mouth and, you know, needs dental work. He's just a terrible person. But that's not who Barabbas was. Barabbas was a, a leader of the Jewish people who wanted revolt, who wanted to take Israel back from the Romans. And interestingly enough, Barabbas means son of the father. Bar Abbas. And in some ancient manuscripts, it talks about his full name being Jesus Barabbas. So you actually have that he was Jesus, the son of the father. Isn't that fascinating? Well, I think it is. <laughs> so who was Jesus Barabbas? Well, it depends on who you'd ask. If you'd asked the Roman, they would have said that he was a terrorist that deserved to be killed. He was leading a violent insurgency against the Roman occupation. But if you'd asked the Judeans, if you'd asked the Jews who Barabbas was, they would have said, he's a freedom fighter. He's a brave man. He's a hero who's fighting for our cause. See, Jesus Barabbas really represented the kind of Messiah that people in Jerusalem wanted. 
in a sense, he was a rival to what Jesus of Nazareth was offering. You see, on Good Friday, the crowd had to choose. Do you want Jesus Barabbas or do you want Jesus of Nazareth? And you know what? We still have to make a choice today. You see, Jesus Barabbas was a strong man that was willing to stand up for them, was willing to make sure that they won, was, was even willing to do anger, and, and he was a man of violence. And that's why he was popular, because he made everybody feel like winners. We're going to do something about it. Whereas Jesus called the people to love our enemies. And that's never an easy way, is it? And so the people said, crucify him. You see, Jesus of Nazareth was willing to die for that which he was unwilling to kill. He was willing to die for that which he was unwilling to kill. So Pilate capitulates to the crowd. This crowd which is full of untruth, which is demonic. Jesus, Pilate capitulates to the crowd and commands Jesus of Nazareth to be crucified. And so Jesus sets forth from the palace of Pilate to become the king of kings. And that route from the Antonio Fortress, which was the headquarters of Pilate, to Golgotha, the rock quarry, where Jesus was crucified, is called the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows, the way of pain, the way of grief. Apparently about a kilometer long, and even today, still 2,000 years later, Christians go there to walk this, to remember how Jesus became the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as he sets forth, the anthem he hears isn't hail to the chief, it isn't a royal anthem, it's crucify him, crucify him. You see, his... his Processional was the Via Dolorosa. His crown was made of thorns. His scepter is a reed. And his throne will be a cross. And the king will conquer not by killing, but by dying. And so we've come to Golgotha, where the sins of the world are gathered in this hideous singularity to become the sin of the world. This is really what it looks like. I think it's a great picture. The sin of the world all gathered in the singular, insidious, repulsive, ugly thing with the Son of God nailed to the tree. The poor, when the Paul, uh, Paul the Apostle speaks of it, he says, Christ made sin. This is what it looks like. Every sin committed from Adam. All of it. All the sins flowing from the Adam all the way through, everything in that moment rested upon Jesus. Everything from the last sinner of the age, every sin, every act of sinfulness, selfishness, pride, violence, it would all gather in one mess and it would come upon him. And the world takes the, sin of God, the Son of God, the sinless one, who forgives sin, the one who heals, the one who raised the dead, and the world nailed him to the tree. This is really the ultimate condemnation of the world. It is the sin of the world. You see, instead of receiving Emmanuel, God with us, we reject Emmanuel, and we nail him to a tree. 
And on one level, the crucifixion will always remain ugly, as ugly as sin and death. But you know what? That's not all that the cross is. The cross, the cross is ugly. The cross on Good Friday, where the sin of the world is, is all gathered in one moment, and there's a sense in which it remains ugly. But you know what? The cross also, paradoxically, is the most beautiful thing in the world. You see, being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ upon the cross, paradoxically, is the clearest revelation of who God is. Christ upon the cross is the clearest revelation of who God is. You see, the cross is both the most awful crescendo of human sin, but it's also, listen, the apex of divine grace. The apex of divine grace. It is the clearest revelation. When we say God loves you, that cross is the clearest indication of that. Because of what Christ did, his love towards us, the confrontation between, between human sin and divine grace. And you know what? It wasn't a fair fight. It's not a fair fight because as powerful as sin and hate are, in the end, mercy and love are always going to win. Always going to win. The cross is beautiful because it is where sin as a singularity is absorbed and forgiven. And this is the beauty that saves the world. This is the beauty that saves the world. See, artists can depict Christ crucified, and they do so in the, in the light of ugliness. But we must never forget that there's also the light of the beauty. Both are appropriate. This one here is triumphant. Because although the sin of the world gathered there, Christ bore it and he forgave it. You see, Jesus' prayer, when he says, Father, forgive them, what does the Father do? Well, Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. Jesus reveals the Father. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Because that is who the Father is. And that is what the Father is going to do. The Apostle Paul understood this when he said, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself no longer counting sin, people's sins against them. See, I think in some ways we, we sometimes get, and this sounds funny saying this, so hear me, we kind of just, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins and move on. We don't realize the fullness of the glory of what Jesus did, the power of it that on Good Friday, every sin of every human being who ever lived, has lived, will live, came together. And the violence of that sin was sent into the body of Jesus. He, he bore our sins. And the Son of God absorbed them. But he doesn't call for retaliation. He doesn't call for revenge. He doesn't die saying, avenge my blood. He says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You see, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not reconciling himself to the world. Jesus dies for us, not for God. 
And sometimes you hear people saying, oh, the Jesus, the God killed Jesus. God didn't kill Jesus, we did. God was in Christ reconciling us on that cross. The Father didn't crucify Jesus, we did. Our systems did, the world did. The sin of the world crucified Jesus, not the Father. What does the Father do on Good Friday? The father's not like Caiaphas demanding a scapegoat, not like Pilate insisting on retributive justice. The father is like Jesus. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against us. Because every sin that has been committed is gathered into that one singularity in the body of Christ upon the cross, and Jesus says, forgive them. And the father says, I forgive them. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where does he take it? He takes it to where it belongs. He takes it down into death. He takes it down into Hades. He's the Lamb of God that takes the sin of the world and he forgives it and he carries it all away. That is Good Friday. And I tell you what, people, it's beautiful. It's salvation. All the sins, big sins, little sins, all of the sins, gathered into one moment, forgiven, coming together on Golgotha on Good Friday, born by Jesus that we might be forgiven. This is the good news of the gospel. We get to celebrate it and we get to live it. Isn't that amazing? This is who we are. We know the forgiveness of sin. And today we're going to take communion together. And what I want to do is I want to ask some people to serve it for us. And I want you to hold on to it. When you get the bread and juice, please hold on to it. Because we want to take it together. You know, on the cross, the God of in the beginning said it is finished. On the cross, the serpent that deceived the first Adam was defeated by the second and last Adam. On the cross, we escaped the Egypt of eternal condemnation and stepped into the promise of eternal salvation. On the cross, mercy triumphed over judgment. On the cross, perfect love expelled all fear. On the cross, grace became sufficient. On the cross, light became darkness. On the cross, the anointing destroyed the yoke. On the cross, truth set us free. On the cross, hope made a way. On the cross, life became eternal. On the cross, victims became victors. Broken became blessed. Sinners became saints. And slaves became conquerors. On the cross, Jesus is king. On the cross, sin is defeated. On the cross, we are reconciled to the Father. On the cross, His stripes healed us. And on the cross, His wounds forgave us. Today, we take this juice. We take it as representative of the blood. Jesus' blood that was spilt for us. And we take this bread representative of his body which was broken we do it in remembrance of him and as we take this Father we thank you we thank you that you were in Christ reconciling us
that the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit pursued us to bring us to that place of relationship. That you made the way for us to come back, to be reconciled to you. And Father, we're eternally grateful. Jesus, for what you did on the cross to go through the agony and the turmoil, but to do it so we, we could be in fellowship with you, that we could become the people of destiny that you created us to be, the people of promise, to be that chosen nation. And we thank you that you became king. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Father, may we never say those words flippantly or just without thought, but that they will carry that they will be a mark that we will carry to bring glory to you. And so, Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we're, we're just so overwhelmed with your presence. And we just take this bread and this wine now in remembrance of you. Thank you for your life that was given for us. So just take the juice and the bread, maybe just spend a few moments yourself just meditating on what Jesus has done for you, giving him thanks, just silently taking a moment to speak to Jesus. Just take a moment, take the bread and the juice. so thankful, Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord. We're so thankful. Yes, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Father, we thank you once again. Jesus, we bless you. We praise you. We declare you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Mighty one, seated at the right hand of the Father, our King, our Lord. Hey, why don't we stand? We're just gonna just gonna take a little bit more time to worship him this afternoon.